Lord, by your truth, we are set free and by your word, we are directed. It is definitely a light up that lights our way, my Lord, in the darkness of the world. Bless us through the truth of your word, O God, and strengthen us, my heavenly Savior. My heart today reaches out unto the married that may be struggling in their marriages, that may, in one way or the other, Lord, may have gotten used to one another and they feel tired and attempted to look outside their marriage. My prayer is that you strengthen them, O King of Glory, because of who you are. Encourage the singles that are looking around to know that when they get into this commitment, it is a lifetime commitment, just like you're committed to the church, and you're not going to change that. It is our prayer, Lord, that we shall know the truth, and your truth shall surely set us free. Bless us all together. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Friends, a blessed morning. Uh, wherever you're picking our message from. My name is uh, Reverend David Kagwa, uh, reaching you with this unedited word of God from the holy pages of Scripture. Uh, I pray that the Lord will be glorified in our lives, wherever we may be. I really want to uh, convey my sympathies to anyone that may be struggling in one way or the other with the challenges of life and contemplating a step that is actually not good. I want to tell you that when the time is ripe, the Lord shall come through for you. Like he told Isaiah to tell the children of Israel uh, that a time would come when they would sow and reap. He says they will not, um, uh, you know, cultivate um, or plow forever. They shall plant and they shall surely be a fruit, meaning that he's judging them for a time, but he shall restore them when the time comes. Okay, today we are still dealing with a broad topic that is entitled the difficult questions that believers and non-believers ask. The difficult questions that believers and non-believers alike ask. And we are actually handling these very difficult things. And today I come with uh, yet <laughs> another, a very, very serious concern for the church today. And there are fewer concerns uh, that are as strong as what I'm bringing today, um, as you're going to hear it. Today we are answering the question uh, that says, should a Christian divorce or should a faithful man divorce his wife that has committed adultery um, or should um, a faithful woman divorce um, his her husband that has committed adultery, as usual the case is, it is more to the uh, men than the women, uh, you know, basically. But I want to ask it in a mega way, as it may easily uh, confuse some people. And I want to ask it in a way that says, did Jesus grant divorce? Did Jesus grant divorce? Friends, uh, this is one of the biggest challenges that the contemporary church has had to deal with. And um, uh, there is one thing that I'm sure about no one, especially among the ranks of uh, Christians, particularly ministers, ever goes wrong without uh, finding a verse in the Bible as a basis for their errant behavior. No one, they're usually going to find a verse. But the thing is, um, the denominator is that all of them who go errant or who lose it are going to be using a verse in the wrong context. Friends, today you will agree with me that pastors and believers alike are um, struggling with this kind of thing. From us pastors, you're finding us divorce our wives and uh, to believers or Christians are therefore watching and follow suit 
and they all find a scripture to hang on to but the question is are they interpreting it the right way today we go to the very root of this issue and i'm going to find the hardest of passages to interpret on divorce and uh, the spirit of god will do justice in interpreting it and this is going to help us answer these difficult questions this message is dedicated to people that are struggling in their marriages and they are contemplating quitting and also the singles that are getting into relationship and they think after all one day i'll simply quit i'll press the left um, <laughs> button and i'll leave the engagement and let us hear this from the teaching and uh, see whether that is exactly what uh, the lord says over there the passage of our focus is um matthew 19. i intend to do a comprehensive but concise teaching on this subject and then we'll be done soon matthew chapter 19 and i'm going to be taking it from verse 3 to verse 9 which is the key verse there that many people want uh, to premise to be premised on to depart from their marriages we are going to explain this very, very well. Matthew 19, 3 says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, uh, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be Come one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They say to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of <laughs> these men of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I said to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Friends, at the word of the Lord. This is what we are going to be grappling with right now. It's not an easy text, but it is very easy when you submit to the Holy Spirit to help you. Friends, like I told you today, there are lots of questions around that, and many people have, um, uh, you know, subjectively convinced themselves to the point of divorcing their wives because they have found others or because they find them um, inadequate in one way or the other. They have lots of reasons, but the major that they give is uh, if someone commits adultery, they're going to say that they are permitted to go right ahead and leave them or divorce them. Now we need to understand what does divorce mean? Divorce means acquitting on illegally um, binding marital covenant. Uh, you see, that, that is what divorce means. Someone leaves another and they go for any reason that they may choose to give. Uh, you see, for any reason that they may choose to give. Now, the Bible uh, is teaching in this context. Maybe I should lay the context uh, very briefly here. Matthew teaches by way of discourses. He uh, brings forth his message uh, by way of discourses. And initially, Matthew is writing to the Jews. We must appreciate and understand that. He's writing to the Jews. Uh, when you look at men like Luke, Luke writes to the Gentiles because he himself was a Gentile. This is why when you look at, um, at the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Matthew doesn't go 
uh, very far to Adam. He simply starts from Abraham. As simple as that, he shows you that uh, he's focusing on the Jews. Jesus is the king of the, the Jews. He's here. Uh, Luke is going to do a uh, bother and go the whole way back to Adam. He shows you that as long as we have faith, you can come to Christ. Now, Matthew doesn't mean that um, the non-Jews cannot come to Christ, but ideally we are saying uh, at the back of his mind, he was basically writing to the Jews. It doesn't mean that uh, this gospel account cannot uh, be applied to others. Uh, this is what we are seeing here. Now, underline that in the context is very important in the interpretation of this message. So Matthew writes to them and he says, Behold, look, our master is here. The promised king is here. The one that was promised in, you know, time immemorial in ages past is right here. This is why he quotes the Old Testament a lot and uh, including people like Isaiah. And we've just seen him quote Genesis right here like we are going to see. Now, Matthew uses five discourses and um, this is, uh, I think, the fourth. In Matthew chapter 18, he speaks of the child likeness of the believer. In other words, that a child has, a believer has a childlike attitude, a childlike innocence. You see, that is the point that he uh, makes in that particular point, because he starts that off by comparing the kingdom of God to a child. He gives you Jesus uh, doing that uh, comparison. Now, in other words, he shows you that if you're going to be a believer that has now come and submitted to God, because in uh, one of the discourses in Matthew chapter 10, he speaks of um, the, the mission of the 12. So um, there he assumes that uh, probably someone has come to Christ now. In uh, chapter 13, he speaks of the parables of the kingdom. Now someone is in the kingdom, and in chapter 18, he's speaking of, um, you know, the childlikeness of a believer, like, the person that is in the kingdom, how are they going to be? How are they going to behave? Their character. So he shows you're going to be innocent. Now, chapter 19 eh, is more of a narrative that elucidates what Matthew puts down in chapter 18. Now, it would be very, uh, very contradictory if he would go right ahead and approve of divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be very, very contradictory. But we shall go right ahead and uh, examine this. Now, Matthew gives you the setting with the Pharisees coming to Jesus. And all of us know that Pharisees and Christ were parallel in terms of lines that they pursued. They could not move in the same lane. You see, in no way. These men were meant to be teachers of the law, and they actually knew what the law said, but they simply were bent on uh, establishing their own kingdom of sorts. You know, they were bent on this unbelief that Isaiah speaks of, you see, because they didn't want to submit to Christ and therefore they were kept in unbelief, like Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, such that the judgment could come upon them because they were hardened in their hearts. Now, you can already see that in the context, when a Pharisee comes to Christ, all times that we've seen, it's not because they're asking anything so they will change or so they will do the right thing. They are testing him so they can um, make him make a contradictory statement so they can have him killed. That is their interest. Now, if you find someone arguing for a case of divorce on the basis of Pharisees, that is already suspect, like you can see, my friend. But let us examine the text and what it says there. It, it, it will be very uh, helpful. Now, he says that, and the Pharisees, Vathri, came to Jesus, testing him, you hear the word, and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that 
He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two shall be shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, in other words, Jesus goes back to the beginning and he shows you everything has gotten a foundation and the foundation is the most important part of a structure you're going to speak to a structural engineer and uh, he will tell you that that is the most important part of a building if you mess with the foundation there's going to be a problem with the entire structure it doesn't matter how beautiful the finishing may be but basically if you mess with the foundation that building is basically gone. The best they can do is reinforce it right from the foundation if it has a structural problem with the foundation. That's the best they can do. Now, this is what the Savior does. He goes back to the foundation to bring out the meaning. And he's uh, quoting Genesis 2, 24 there, when he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his uh, father and mother, and uh, the two shall be joined, uh, and he shall be joined with his wife, and uh, they the two shall become one. You see, uh, he goes right back into uh, Genesis. What does he mean there? Now, God is showing you uh, what happened, or Christ is showing you what happened between Adam and Eve. Uh, that was the intention um, of God. He joined them together, and they were no longer two, but one. That is kingdom math. One plus one equals one. <laughs> now, professors of mathematics have not understood that yet, but ideally, uh, the king of the earth teaches that. As far as marriage is concerned, one plus one equals one. That is basically what it is. So, what Jesus is meaning here is, how can you divide something that is already one? I mean, you, you, you cannot divide this. Even math cannot give you this. One divided by one. <laughs> you see that? It equals one. That is what the Savior of the world means right there. But then the Pharisees, like we know, must have understood what Christ meant. And then they bring in um, a subjectively uh, driven uh, statement here that says, in verse six, uh, verse seven, uh, they say to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Now listen to this. Uh, Jesus is saying, even what you're quoting was not something that was uh, meant to be um, the norm, but it was the exception in one way or the other. You see, he says the norm is that one uh, plus one will be equal to one and that uh, nothing else will ever separate, uh, that nothing will ever separate these two that have been joined by God. He says it was the hardness of heart. Now, every time you see that in scripture, just know that he is speaking of disbelief and it is impossible to please god with a hard heart or with disbelief uh, the bible teaches this in hebrews 11 6 it is impossible to please god without faith and uh this is what paul also teaches in romans 14 23 and he says everything that is not of faith cannot please god so if it doesn't please him and if it is not of faith what is it it is evil you see that is what jesus means there and then the blocker comes, the final blow comes. And he says in verse 9, and I'm going to be spending the rest of our time on this teaching on uh, verse 9. And uh, then Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. 
Okay, and uh, this has been quoted uh, numerous times by pastors and uh, believers alike and people that are breaking away their marriages from their marriages and people that are divorcing often quote this verse we want to see its meaning in context because that is what it should be and then we shall derive the right interpretation and therefore the implication for the church in as far as divorce is concerned uh, you see that friends i told you that uh, scripture has an accent and it is called context scripture has an accent or god has an accent and his accent is called context if you don't understand what the context of the scripture is uh friends be assured that you're always going to get it wrong and uh, that is catastrophic in its ramifications now we need to look at what this says here now i need to note at this point that this um Jesus speaks about divorce in all the three synoptics or in all the three uh, gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is in John that it doesn't come out, but it is only in, in Matthew. He speaks about it in Matthew 19, like we've seen, speaks about it in Mark chapter 10, verse 1 to 12. You see that and speaks about it in Luke chapter 16, verse 18. I want you to follow up these passages and see what the Spirit of God is teaching here. I said Matthew 19. Uh, 1 up to uh, 9, where we are, he speaks about it in Mark 10, 1 to 12, and he speaks about it in Luke um, 16, 18, just one verse. But it is only in Matthew that he puts this extra. It is only Matthew that puts this extra that says, um, whosoever or whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. It is only Matthew who says that. Now, the smart question to ask would be why only in Matthew? And yet he speaks about it in Luke in, uh, and in, um, in, in Mark as well. The, question, the, 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 uh, the answer is uh, a straight one because Matthew was writing to Jews and therefore this extra was very important for him to bring out because it would make sense, uh, you see, to them, it would ideally make sense. And we are meant to interpret it in context like we are going to do um, right now. Now, friends, you'll also appreciate the fact that uh, the Bible wasn't written in English and neither was it written in any other language except in Greek in the New Testament and Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament. Now, since we are dealing with the New Testament, it is good to understand that this a particular verse like any other in the New Testament was written in Greek. Now, when Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Yeah, <laughs> it is important for us to understand what was happening here. Now, what was Jesus speaking about? We've already seen that up to till this point, Jesus seems to be against divorce. Now, would he finally turn to support it? We want to see. Now, it is important to look at the original meaning of this word called um, immorality here, which gives ground for divorce. Therefore, now when you go to Greek, the word that Jesus means, uh, uses here is poneia. It is called poneia. Yeah, it is called uh, poneia. Uh, but like you see in Luganda, I could tell someone Nkwagala, yeah, if I'm unmarried and I'm speaking to a young, beautiful lady, uh, she could get these two meanings. One, she could possibly think I love her for marriage. Two, she could also think 
maybe I want to see her. Because in Uganda, that word could mean that. Nkwagala is I love you. And Nkwagala is, <laughs> I, I, it could also mean I want to see you. Now, the word ponea could mean all sorts of things. But in the context that Jesus uses it is basically to mean fornication. It doesn't mean adultery. It doesn't mean adultery, my friend. It is more skewed towards um, fornication. Now, I'm going to prove this by looking at another passage right in Matthew, right here in Matthew, that uh, would still draw us to the same meaning. Now, there is another Greek word that Jesus could directly have used, like where you see him uh, speaking of adultery. That word is more of more Morekai, it is it is interpreted or it is called more morekau or morekai. That is what it means in Greek. And uh, you don't have the advantage of seeing this if you're simply using your English version or your Uganda version. You don't get the benefit of seeing that. But friends, that is what it is, and that is how they interpret the word of God. So we can see that by the Lord uses the word using the word ponea, he is not actually using moreka or using adultery at that point. Now, this is going to bring us to the understanding of what Jesus actually wanted to mean here or to present. Now, among the Jews, they did not get married as we do. Among the Jews, they had two major stages of marriage. One was called betrothal, uh, and then this brought you to marriage finally, or the uh, the marriage. Today, we have what we call an engagement, but that doesn't take so long, and it is not exactly like the Hebrew betrothal. And this is why we tell you that it is important to understand scripture in its right context. Now, amongst the Jews, you initially went and did the betrothal, paid the dowry, everything, to the point that this person was technically your wife, but you had not, you would not get intimate with them until the real wedding or marriage, elaborate function. Sometimes it went on, like we see in John chapter 2, it went on for as long as a week. And that is the marriage function. Now, the betrothal could could go, I mean, could hold for as long as a year. You could betroth a woman and um, take a whole year, you know, going through those processes before you actually uh, get married officially. Now, that kind of person was considered your wife. And uh, we have... Um, a, a proper proper context here or example to elucidate this in matthew chapter 1 verse 18 and no better example than the real birth of christ matthew 1 18 uh, the example of joseph and mary yes we need to look at that uh, matthew 1 18 says now the birth of jesus christ was as follows when his mother mary had been betrothed you hear that word to joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. But of course, you have the advantage, me and you have the advantage of knowing it was the Holy Spirit. But I want you to imagine what was racing in Joseph's mind. You've betrothed your woman for long. He, she is actually your wife, technically, and uh, you're waiting to tie the knot. And this is what happens. He didn't know that this was the Holy Spirit responsible. <laughs> Verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now that word in Greek also means divorce. Yeah, he planned to divorce her secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, 
Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary on your um to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You see that? So that was common amongst the Jews. And that is the same context in which Matthew is writing. And I'm telling you, it is the same reason you don't see that in Mark, you don't see that in Luke, because it didn't make sense to the Gentiles uh, to have it written to them, because um, uh, for them, they're not actually writing per se for a Jewish audience. But for Matthew, it is important for him to put all these details, uh, friends. Now, for someone to wake up today and claim they are going to divorce um, their wife because they have committed adultery, uh, you know, uh, would be horrendous. It would be unacceptable, would be a wrong interpretation of this verse. And friends, I'm sorry, even we pastors have committed this, uh, you know, terrible sin, and uh, we claim the Bible permits it. Now, I want to say that is a very wrong interpretation of scripture, friend. And for many, I mean, they, they, they actually wouldn't have done it, I want to imagine, had they known the proper interpretation of that verse. For many, they think it is right. But friends, today we are here to understand what this teaches, uh, what it actually teaches. Now, why is it that Jesus could not have meant divorce. Why is it that Jesus could not have meant divorce? We want to look at further evidence in uh, scripture. I'll, I've already told you that Matthew was writing for Jewish audience and that there is absolutely no way that this could have been um, a case for divorce. Why? Matthew is writing for Jews and um, the Jews know all this. They actually know all this, and that is how we are meant to understand it as well. If you go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, this is another beautiful, beautiful dispensation about uh, this case of divorce. Now, in uh, um, Leviticus 20, 10, uh, speaking of the punishment of sin in the Jewish community then, yeah, which still applied by Matthew's day, it's, it actually still applied. Uh, he says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, you see that? With the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. You hear that? So there is no way that Jesus could have been speaking of adultery. He was speaking of fornication, something that could have happened before the real marriage. Because if you committed adultery amongst the Jews, you had no chance of living. <laughs> you see that you had no chance of living now who could jesus have said you get divorced with you understand that my friend it would have been impossible because as as long as someone has committed adultery they were meant to be stoned to death this is the case that jesus handles and i want to tell you it was still happening by jesus's day this is the case that jesus handles in john 8 when they brought him when they brought him um, an adulterous woman, uh, so they said, and they said, we have caught her with what? We <laughs> committing adultery. And Jesus said, okay. And who had brought, who had brought her? The leaders of the people, the religious leaders. Huh? <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Forgive me, this is becoming very, very interesting. You know, the truth of the word of God delights you. This is why the writer of the psalm says, it is honey unto my lips. You see, you enjoy it when you take, uh, you partake of it. I want to read it verbatim, uh, my friend, and uh, this is uh, uh, going to help us. Uh -huh. 
Now, Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 1, he says, But Jesus went to the um, verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Adultery, morecao, that other word, not fornication. Yeah, not fornication, not ponea. Okay, and not ponea at all. This one was a married woman. Uh huh. Quote in adultery. You need to be careful about the ones. They made us stand before the group and say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses. Eh? In the law, uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for choosing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground. Now, I don't want to go into the extras of this passage because we are handling something different right now. Now, you get to realize that up to Jesus' day, these people were still following this. Now, there was no chance for an adulterer to have continued living. Now, who could you separate with in divorce? Who could you divorce with? You understand that because you were meant to be killed if you committed adultery. Now, this is further proof that Jesus wasn't speaking of Borekao. He was not speaking of um, um, adultery. He was speaking of Ponea, fornication, which happened at betrothal before someone had gotten into a marriage proper. You understand this, my friend? So there is no chance for anyone to break out of marriage or to divorce. Uh, there is no way that Jesus could have permitted this kind of stuff, you see, for a man that promoted purity. Because look at this. In uh, the context of the passage, Jesus has been against divorce through and through. Eh? The, the Pharisees brought him closer and closer to the point that he made that statement in verse 9 intentionally to show them what he meant. So you don't have chance. And friends, I want to speak to the singles today as you plan to get involved with that guy, as you plan to get locked up with that lady, just know <laughs> that you're getting into a one-way lane. You're getting in there forever. Don't be like, mm -hmm. after all, if it doesn't work, I'll break out. I'll just divorce and go and find another. It is wrong. It is unbiblical, and you would be committing sin. When I got married, um... There's a man that came, you know, on your wedding, you're, you're going to have get crashers and guests that you actually invited. I think there was a man that came in uh, the camera crew. He came with a um, camera crew and he had dreads. And uh, th this guy there, I mean, the sort of people you'd call the wannabes of this world. Yeah. A man that you'd easily say maybe he doesn't look that spiritual. But after I tied the note with Esther, I had this guy. And tell uh, his friend, he was like, man, <laughs> he was like, ah, man, the man is finished. It is forever. Even the wannabes know that when you get into this kind of thing, you're finished. It, it, you're forever locked up, tied up in there. If you break out, then you're committing sin. I want to illustrate this with a passage that still Jesus makes in Matthew, in Matthew 5, um, 31, 32, when he is teaching uh, in the, uh, the sermon on the mount, still about the believer's behavior. And he says, uh, verse 31, Matthew 5, he says, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Because Jesus here was the fulfillment of the law, and therefore he redefines it as uh, in terms of his fulfillment in him. And he says, verse 32, but I said to you that everyone who divorces his wife, 
except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That is another um, illustration there. Jesus does not support, uh, um, you know, divorce for adultery per se, but he is still maintaining the same point as we've been explaining, but adds it um, add something further that is more important here, that is very important here. Most people that are divorcing in their marriages divorce for remarriage. Yes, you go and find this out. The reason they divorce is for remarriage. As simple as that, they want to get married. Even if you want to interpret this scripture to mean that if someone commits adultery, you would uh, be free to divorce, still you would not be free to remarry. You see that? But most people that are divorcing are divorcing because they've seen someone else now look into it even if we went logical we simply follow logic here i mean how hard would it be for someone to simply go and commit adultery and therefore get out of their marriage i mean how hard would that be could could the lord have made it that simple <laughs> yeah because then if i'm tired of esther i simply go find a woman commit adultery and then i go and i wave the certificate and i tell the lawyer you know what uh the, the judge I, I committed adultery, so I am free to go. You see that? I mean, even if you want to use logic, it wouldn't work at all. It wouldn't, my dear friend. And uh, there is no evidence whatsoever in Scripture. And we say it for something to be true, it must be right. And for it to be right, it must be, uh, it must be, for something to be right, it must be true in line with the truth of the Bible. And the Bible must be interpreted in its right context. And we say that you cannot base on one scripture, but the entire biblical perspective or framework has gotten to support a position that uh, you, a presupposition that you're bringing forward. Now, <clears throat> we shall be reminded that uh, in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, when the Lord speaks of um, marriage, he likens it to his relationship with the church. When the Lord speaks of the marriage fel fellowship, he likens it to his fellowship with the church. And uh, he shows you that he has loved the church, he loves it, and there's no way that he's going to ever uh, break um uh, th that fellowship there is nothing that is ever going to break that fellowship let me just um quote that and then we will be good to go uh, for today ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30 he teaches and he says for we are members of his body uh, you know uh, meaning the church for this reason a man will leave his father and mother quotes the same thing goes back to genesis to give it meaning for, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Yeah, he says it's a mystery, a mystery meaning something that has been veiled, but finally is opened up. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Whoever, um, However, each one of you also must love his wife as uh, uh, he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, the Lord uses the analogy of marriage to um, il illustrate what he had with the church. In other words, God loves the church to the point that he will never forsake it. And sometimes you know that we mess in his church, but he says the fellowship that we have, nothing is ever going to separate us if you go to romans 8 you know that paul uh, speaks about this that nothing's going to separate believers because in romans he's speaking of sanctification of people that have already known the lord you see that that is the same thing there so friend from angle 90 180 <laughs> angle 45 
you know, all these angles, you get to see that no position in the church ever, in the Bible ever supports uh, divorce. My prayer is that for anyone that has ever uh, committed this, maybe they shall go right back and uh, look at um, uh, their action and redress it and get back uh, to their rightful wives, you see. Uh, to their rightful wives, because as far as God is concerned, even when you want to think that you're divorced, you remain married to that particular person. So in other words, you commit adultery because you're married to your original wife and then the new one that you've gotten. I'm not saying there are not going to be challenges in uh, in marriage. These are going to be there. But so does God bear with us in the church. We keep upsetting him in one way or the other. This is my prayer, friend, wherever we may be. May the truth be taught and let the truth reign because it will set us free and prepare us for eternity. Uh, ask the Lord to teach you to love your wife, love your husband, even when it is challenging. You see, uh, this will help you. Yes, the Spirit of God here reminds me, there are people that have quoted Hosea, that God told Hosea to go and find <laughs> an adulteress and then get married to to her let, let me tell you you simply bind yourself or when you look at the right context of that scripture because god is being the image um by um, in, in in context god is 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 hosea and then the adulteress or the the adulteress is israel and uh, we substantially know that even when goma messed up and went to all these men God, through Hosea, still went and found the same woman. He did not find another. So you're binding yourself by saying God commanded Hosea to get married to um, an adulteress. But of course, you need to understand the context and the meaning of that scripture. God is simply illustrating an analogy about his relationship with Israel. He's saying you've been unfaithful. You shouldn't be unfaithful and you're not. That is what he simply means. He's not promoting adultery and divorce. And others have misquoted um, Paul in First uh, Corinthians 7, and he says that for an unbeliever, if they are married to a believer, they can actually separate, but they doesn't seem to uh, provide a much chance there if you look at it in context. Friends, uh, this is my prayer. For fellow pastors, you see them on TV sometimes, and they even speak against holy marriage, and they say putting on a ring doesn't actually make sense. Um, maybe would have listened to them if they had stuck to their wives, but they say that so they can justify uh, their pluralism in marriage and their adultery when they find others. And I'm not saying this, Lord, um, because I want to put them down. I'm simply saying there's still chance for them to go back to their wives and say, you know what? I had it wrong. I had the right teaching. I now know what Matthew 99 actually means. And I'm back to you. For my uh, daughters, the singles and um, sons that are going into marriage, there's one that I'm going to be waiting tomorrow. I just want you to remember that marriage is the one way we get in there and uh, come rain, come sunshine, we've gotten to stick in there and it is a, a representation of um, uh, what God has between us and uh, him, between the church and him. It is not easy to bear with us, but he really, really does. And therefore, I pray that God will give us the right perspective. Let everyone be informed that this is what the Bible teaches about divorce. And may he uphold us that we will be more than overcomers. Bless us, O Lord, together. Help us to discern your truth, O God, wherever we may be. And it is the lies of the enemy that bring this into the church to give us comfort to follow our wayward lives uh, in order to lose it in eternity but we want to pray that you'll help us our heavenly savior not to lose our portion in you we give you glory we worship you in jesus mighty name we have prayed and believed amen god bless you god bless you